0: from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode number 118. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Encapsula and Foot Cardigan. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi Mike, how's it going? Very good, Mr. Jason Snell. How are
1: you? Uh, good. We got the we got the Christmas tree yesterday. It is the most wonderful time of the year. That's what that's what the song tells that's me. What the song tells us. I started my advent yeah. calendar. My daughter is, uh, yeah, she's super into it, which surprises me because, you know, jaded teenager, but she's super into it. Like the, the day after Thanksgiving, she was playing uh, uh, various uh, Christmas song playlists throughout the house. And, uh, and yeah, we've got advent calendars too. Um, this year I finally bought a, a Lego advent calendar for the first mm. time because I was so jealous of my friends uh, who keep posting pictures of their Lego advent calendars on Twitter. And so I got the Lego Star Wars Advent Calendar, and we've been opening that up, and my son's been assembling all the little parts.
0: So I very nearly got that. I very nearly did, but I went
1: for a, for a chocolate one instead. Yeah. Well, we we also have chocolate ones for both of the kids from uh, the fi- highest quality Trader Joe's chocolate <laughs> Advent calendar. But they do make them, and we get them every year. But we just added a little uh, a little Lego to it. Too, the main reason fine.
0: I didn't do it was because I'm packing up all of my worldly
1: belongings now. I didn't yeah.
0: need to bring anything else into <laughs> the you house, that Lego
1: as, pieces. <laughs> you could use that as like a check-in at your new house. Is uh, Every time you go there, you get to open whatever advent. You know, yeah, that's a good happen. idea, but actually. Start, start the new house with Lego underfoot. That's always a good idea. Mm-hmm. I did actually yeah. today um, break down and box
0: up two Lego sets, including my, my Death Star, Oh, wow. So I'm giving it to uh, my nephews.
1: Oh, I see. I decided oh, not nice. to take
0: that one. Uh, I am taking uh, my Ghostbusters Firehouse. Mm-hmm. And, oh, well, yeah. God, it, yes. And the wally They're the two sets that I'm taking. Nice. Uh, the Death Star, the, the one that I have is like the diorama Death Star, basically. Right. I
1: don't like that set so much. Oh, and get somebody else a, a chance to play with it. That's exactly, great. exactly.
0: I, I like, uh, I like, and I wish that they still did the one that was just like a model of the Death Star, right? But they don't make that one anymore,
1: right? We like, yeah, Lego, it's fun. We there could be a whole podcast about Lego, but not by us, probably. I considered it once. That that would be yeah you could do that with um with Stephen Shapansky and uh, James Thompson yep can you imagine there are probably lots of Lego podcasts already but can oh, you yeah. imagine the fear, the ferocity of uh, response to anything s- vaguely controversial stated on the Lego podcast Lego people take it real super seriously. Like and 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 if you said Legos, oh my god! The, don't even the, the, the podcast would just explode right explode. then and there if you pluralized it because the plural of Lego is Lego, as we all know.
0: Yep, especially us in the United Kingdom know that. Um, me and Stephen <laughs> considered it many. Okay. Well, because this is the thing in the US, Legos. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, me and Stephen once were very close to doing this, and the reason we decided not to do it was because we just don't, ha- we just didn't, and probably still don't have enough money to satiate. What would start if you did a Lego podcast? Like the amount of money you would spend on Lego. Oh yeah, that's why you have to even.
1: find a co-host who is already spending it.
0: <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, talking about the most wonderful time of the year, mm-hmm. the most wonderful podcast episode of the year is fast approaching. The upgrades, the third annual upgrades, third annual are coming up, and we are finally an annual tradition. This it is. Time, it finally. is the most annual of traditions. We are doing two. <laughs> Things well, the year. new this time around. <laughs> mm-hmm. So last year we asked for category suggestions to really help flesh out the categories. We are keeping the categories the same uh, this year because we have a lot of great categories, but we're asking for uh, the participation of the Upgradians for the twenty sixteen Upgrady Awards. Yes, two things. What well, one of our categories is favorite product. So, favorite tech product. And then we do Apple or non-Apple. Um, so, it could be like Apple-related and then just like general technology. We would like your suggestions for your favorite product of the year. So, just tweet with the hashtag #Upgradies. Everybody obviously knows how to spell that, but in case you don't, it's U-P-G-R-A-D-I-E-S. So, you can tweet mm-hmm. with the hashtag #Upgradies for your favorite product of the year. And we are doing, for the first time, we are opening up the Upgradey Awards for your votes. So if you remember how the Upgrade usually works is we have a short list of nominees and then me and Jason will pick our personal winner of those and then between the two of us, we decide on who takes home the trophy. This year, you, the listener, will be the third kind of pick along with that. So there will be my pick, Jason's pick, and the listener pick. And then out of those three, we will decide who takes home the Upgradey Award for each category. Right. We will have a Google form available after next week's show. There'll be a link in uh, episode 119 uh, of Upgrade. There will be a link to a Google form with all of our shortlisted nominees for you to cast your votes on. I'm very excited about this. Obviously,
1: yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's the Upgrades. I know you get excited about it all it's the time. We up-
0: it's my favorite. I, we do. T- I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again before the year is over. We do two episodes. Um, uh, that I love every year is the Upgrady Awards, and connected, uh, we do a kind of roundup of all of the tech stories of the year, month by month. I love doing those episodes because they're different and they're traditions, and I think they're awesome. Um, so I'm I'm really really looking forward to the Upgradies this year, especially as we continue to evolve the Upgradies. Um, yeah. which reminds okay. me, I should uh, I should ask our wonderful designer Frank to make the additions to the the Upgrady uh, artwork. So of course, we can have the 2016 badge put on them,
1: and just to warn people now, you will have when when that uh, when that goes up next Monday, we will do uh, a vote for about a week and a half, mm-hmm. and then we'll close it. So you don't you you won't have you'll have until uh, a couple of days before Christmas to get in your votes. Yep, the upgrady episode will appear in your uh, in your podcast app of choice. Uh, around about January second yes. this year, we're going to do it right. It's going to be since the day after New Year's Day is uh, is a Monday. We're going to drop that episode. We're going to pre-record it behind the scenes hints here, and then we will drop it on the on the second. So that'll mm-hmm. be the big upgrade each day.
0: There is indeed. Uh, will has will us in the chat, "Is there a trophy? Maybe that's how we advance it next year, We <laughs> mm. get trophies made. Although we have a lot of categories, and probably a lot of winners of the categories don't care. Don't you know, care. Like if if yeah. we give the iPhone the upgrade of the year, I don't think Apple will care for our trophy.
1: No, that that happened with the Eddie Awards oftentimes. Oh, There's really? Apple, <laughs> Apple, it, it would be very hard to find anyone at Apple who would actually take the trophies after a while. And the fun, the sad thing was, Apple PR didn't want the trophies, especially when they, we gave them to the Minute Mac World Expo. Because somebody had to like drive them back to Cupertino. But what I heard is inside Apple, the people who worked on the stuff that won the awards were really excited about it and wanted the trophies. But the like the PR and marketing people were like, "Yeah, we we don't." Yeah, it's funny. That's I just got an Eddie Award right behind me.
0: What did you win it for?
1: <laughs> for running the eddie awards for 15 <laughs> years i think you won best eddie award coordinator yeah. well you you buy extras is what i and and that Excellent. this one somehow came with me i don't know how that happened hmm. yeah the main reason that i want to give the trophies is i want one yeah i was thinking we should make trophies and just give them to us <laughs> do you know what maybe we should just do that we'll just get one each <laughs> And then we'll if you if you if you uh, win one, you can ask, and we'll we'll send you a picture of us with your your trophy. I mean, that's more, more worth more than a trophy, right? Picture uh, of me, for and you. for honestly. Yeah, picture it didn't happen.
0: We want to do a quick piece of follow up. Um, our lovely friend of the show, uh, co-host of both of our hosts Mr. Stephen Hackett, he has created a book called uh, Aqua and Bondi, and it is about. Kind of the iMac G3, which is uh, the the computer that Stephen loves so dearly, what led Mm -hmm. to it and the effect that it had on Apple.
1: Yeah, and uh, along with a a hefty dose of uh, OS X, because during the same period as the kind of computer transition that was led by the iMac, there was this operating system transition that really transformed Apple. And so both of those stories are in there along with a bunch of photographs and Stephen living up to his reputation as a, an Apple historian. I got to I got to read an early version of the book and, mm-hmm. and give him some some notes, which was fun because I was there, you know, covering OA- early days of OS 10, especially. Um, I got to drop some knowledge about uh, Mac obscure Mac clones. That was kind of fun. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so it's a lot of fun. It's an ebook. I hope, I hope he makes. Uh, back at Macworld, we would occasionally do a print-on-demand um, version, and it was expensive. But some people wanted to get it in their hands, and it's like you know, I bet he could make a print version of this book for less than two hundred dollars. That would be good. But we'll see if he wants to do that.
0: I heard that Apple books can go for many hundreds of dollars, anyway. So it's
1: all good. yeah. I mean, I, I think I think he could he could make a good profit on a print book uh, while being dramatically well less than uh, what apple is charging. Just saying.
0: If you remember last week if you listened to the Gremlins section the uh, Mike at the movies uh, I referenced that the, uh, the the outdoor setting the town that the Gremlins was was located in was very reminiscent of Back to the Future 2 um, and the Hill Valley town and I was wondering if uh, there was it was actually the same set. Bart wrote in to confirm that it was, and he sent a Wikipedia article over uh, for something called Courthouse Square, which is a backlot at Universal Studios. And not only was it used in Gremlins, it was used in Back to the Future too, and many more movies. Um, yeah, and you can you can see uh, a long list of movies and TV shows um, on the Wikipedia article uh, that the Courthouse Square was used in.
1: Yeah, and it's apparently that uh, that set has. Like, caught fire multiple times, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, good spotting, well spotted. I just my affinity
0: for back to, for the, back future to the future will continue. Yeah. Uh, next week, we are doing um, our second of our holiday season, Mike at the Movie episodes, and we are going to be talking about one of my favorite um, holiday movies, Home Alone, which Jason has never seen, which is correct incredible, and I'm very excited. Uh, for you to love that movie. Well, I hope I I hope I do. <laughs> so there you go. There is your notice. Home Alone, the original Home Alone, uh, to be watched before next week's episode. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom. You can get a fourteen day free trial. And start monitoring your websites and servers straight away by going to pingdom.com slash upgrade. And when you use the offer code upgrade at checkout, you will get 20% of your first invoice. Pingdom uses more than 70 global test servers that are located, obviously, around the globe to emulate visits to your site. Checking its availability as often as every minute. Why do you need this? Why do they do this? Because websites break all the time. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages on the web every single month. That's more than 400,000 every day. And these are just of the service, the, the websites that Pingdom is monitoring. Imagine how many more there are of websites that are not being monitored on Pingdom. So if you're not using Pingdom to make sure that, you know, when your website is up, when it's down, you really, really should be. Pingdom is very intelligent. It doesn't just do like a binary check of is website up? Yes, no. You can also have it monitor ...key interactions on your website. So say you want to monitor your contact form... ...your e-commerce checkouts... ...your logins, your search functionality... ...all these independent little things... ...to make sure that they're all up and running as well. Because there are so many dependencies these days... your web, ...just a certain element of your website can go down... ...but the website itself be up... ...and you'd never even know. Well, Pingdom can do it all. All Pingdom needs is the URL you wish to monitor. They'll take care of the rest. You will be immediately notified when there are any errors, so you can fix them before that downtime will affect you. You don't want to be caught out when somebody wants to access your site. You need Pingdom to detect whether there's any outages. Go check it out today, and you'll be the first to know when your website is down. Go to pingdom.com upgrade for a 14-day free trial, and use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get 20% off. Thank you so much to Pingdom for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. You uh, decided to stir the pot a little about the ARM <laughs> Mac <laughs> argument over MacWorld. I, I did week. Was it this week or yeah. last week? I think it was
1: last week. Yeah, uh, I did. Um, it was funny. Uh, so I, I listening to Accidental Tech podcast, and they were talking about ARM Macs, and there's other people speculating about this, and and the to back this out a little bit, ARM uh is the chip standard basically um uh, too complicated to get into but that and uh Apple's a whatever chips are based on this and it's Apple has an arm license that can design arm chips uh Macs use Intel chips those aren't arm chips those are Intel chips people have been asking uh, the, you know the question would Apple make another do another chip transition on the Mac um, and move Macs from Intel to ARM because of this perception that one of the reasons that the Mac has been updated so um, sparingly over the last few years is because of Intel chip delays, which is not entirely true. It's also Apple's fault. for. But, and, and the perception that like the 16-gig RAM limit in the MacBook Pro is due to a specific limitation in an Intel chipset, uh, then again, Apple chose to use that chipset. But anyway, Intel gets gets raised as a as a kind of like a problem, and like Apple is is reliant on them, and Apple's making its own chips for iOS. So why wouldn't do that for the Mac? So that that's been the question out there, and I've heard a lot of people uh, give this uh, question some serious thought. Like I think that it's a this is a serious possibility, and I just had one of those moments where I thought, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not saying it won't happen, but if I had to if I had to lay odds, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay, I want to go
0: into some of this with you um, kind of bit by bit. So, history has shown there has been a process to change for the Mac every 10 years, and it's been about 10 years since the last one.
1: Yeah, I was surprised by this. I hadn't really thought of it. And this goes back to um, so when the Mac started in 1984. It used 68,000 series processors for Motorola. If you see 680XO, that's the 68,000 series. The original one was the 68,000. They later used other processors, 68030. The, the Quadra, Quadra computers were uh, 040. That was why it was called Quadra. Um, and so that was, the, that was what powered the Mac until March 1994. So 10 years go by. And there's a switch to the PowerPC processor. I was just starting my uh, career at Mac user when that happened. And it was, you know, it was kind of tumultuous pro- uh, product transition. They had um, emulator, uh, 680XO emulator on the PowerPC uh, so that you could run your old code for a while. And then gradually over time, PowerMax became the standard. The old ones faded away and it was not a big deal anymore. But uh, 12 years later, in uh, 2006, uh, Apple started making Intel Macs. They announced it at WWDC 2005. And in 2006, they began shipping these Intel Macs at in the beginning of 2006. Uh, so 12 years and a new chip transition. And again, Apple made an emulation technology. Uh you may remember it, Rosetta was what it was called and it let you emulate PowerPC code on Intel Macs so you could keep using your old software as the new software was, you know, was revealed, it was updated to to work on the new platform. It's now been 11 years since that transition. And I was taken aback by that. I was like, "Oh, so I guess, you know, all things being equal, <laughs> uh time for a fourth apple processor transition and that would happen in the next you know year or two and it's not like it couldn't happen i think i you know i i I link in my macworld piece to a a piece that death rage wrote for the back page in macworld where where he said it absolutely apple will absolutely not switch to intel and like months later like not very many months later apple switched to intel it was uh I, I edited that column and I was like wow that we you know missed that by 100%. Well,
0: I remember at the time I mean I said this before uh, that was my first Mac. Um, uh, the 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 Intel iMac was my first Mac. I decided that whatever was going to be announced like the next iMac was the one I was going to buy and they just went to Intel which I don't Yeah. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, it was very unexpected.
1: The uh, the Intel announcement at WWDC was a shocker. Yeah, yeah, because you know, yeah. and then, and then we got six very different time and- then.
0: Very very different mm-hmm. time. And I, I was
1: kind of I was
0: reminiscing about something a few days ago, and I was I was reminding myself of the furor that we had in in awaiting iPod announcements. You know, like we would we would wait for the keynotes the same way that we wait for iPhones and iPads, but they were for the next iPod Nano, which, like, when you put it in perspective, is like there weren't really that much that changed Nano to Nano, but like that was we had the same level of excitement. But it was different in those days, though, because it was all surprise, right? Like that that was. That was, I think, what made those keynotes and announcements more exciting is everything uh-huh. was a surprise. Yeah. Um, th- there were part leaks. And, it, and, yeah, it was the same for the Intel transition. Um, and I, not really knowing enough at that point, decided that I would buy that computer be my first computer. And it worked perfectly oh. fine for me. Um, but, you know, if, uh, if Apple do announce an ARM iMac... Uh, I will not be buying that and getting rid of my current iMac. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's right. not something I'm going to do. You know, maybe if they brought if they had an ARM laptop, I might want to get it to to see and to understand it, but not replace my current work machine with it. Um, which is quite funny to think that I did that at the time. <laughs> uh, but you know, I wasn't really doing heavy work then. I was kind of just using Photo Booth a lot. So we are on we're on track, as you say, you know, history. Uh, has shown, trends have shown, that we are around the time for an update to occur, for a chip transition to occur. And I think one of the reasons, and, and you pinpointed this as well, that so many people are considering, like, ARM, it's not just because of the inherent capabilities of ARM chips, but it's because Apple make incredibly powerful ARM chips. They know how to do this. This isn't yeah. like, you know, with the transition to Intel, it was like uh, our power PC is not getting us what we want. You know, like it's too slow. We want to move to the future. We want to, you know, do bootcamp and Windows like running natively. Let's transition to Intel. That's not the situation we're in now. The situation we're in now is Apple knows how to make chips that they want on their timescales with speed and power and performance and energy savings unlike any other. So that's why people are considering that, you know, especially if you look at the the the, uh, the death of the Mac that we've been talking about for the last few weeks because of Intel transitions and uh, sorry, Intel chips and how long they take to make and the delays. Moving to ARM would allow Apple to create these computers on their own time.
1: Yep, that's all. It's all true. All true. These are all all good reasons why Apple might do it. Right, independence. Uh, they have the expertise. And uh, ARM chips are very good at power uh, efficiency, energy efficiency, and two-thirds of the Mac's Apple sells are laptops. These are all strong reasons why Apple would consider using their expertise in making ARM chips to make ARM chips for the Mac. But you still don't think that this is enough? No, and there are a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is, you know, what's the what's the ceiling of iOS performance right now? And what's the floor of Mac performance? One of the problems is that they would need to make an ARM processor that's more presumably if they spread it across the entire line and didn't limit it to like the MacBook or something like that. Um, and I think over time it would be hard for Apple to run a bifurcated platform with with uh, different processor types and different systems. You know, Intel over here and Arm over here. Although it's not impossible that they would do it, it seems like a lot of added complexity. But to 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 reach the higher end, that that's a level of performance that Apple has not created in Arm chips. Doesn't say that they can't do it, but that would be a step for them. And Macs are more complicated in terms of ports. Even if even again, you go back to the MacBook and the MacBook Pro, they just have USB C ports, but. They do have USB-C ports and with Thunderbolt in the case of the MacBook Pro, and there's a lot going on there. That uh, again. Not that Apple couldn't do it, but Apple gets a lot of stuff for free, basically, when they pick up Intel chipsets that they would have to work themselves. But, you know, again, they could do it. Emulation is a challenge. Um, A lot of what's the percentage? I don't know. It might be a fairly small percentage, but there are people who use Macs. And one of the one of the things that is great about that experience for them is that they can run a Windows software in it, it basically without emulation in a virtual machine and you can you can boot camp it but you can also run it in vmware or parallels and it's an intel processor so it just works like an intel processor and you would have to run it emulated on arm now there was a story that came out about how microsoft is going to make an effort to do uh, uh, intel emulator on arm because microsoft still has this kind of on again off again relationship with with windows on arm cuz remember the the surface original surface T, came right? with an arm Arm processor and and some stuff compiled for it, but other stuff wouldn't run because it was Intel based. And yeah, it's it, which again split platform. It's kind of a, a problem, kind of a mess. So they they all of these are are reasons that they you know they could do it. They could do it. It would but it would be it would be work, right? Compatibility work, uh, work to get the level of features that we expect. You know, on a Mac, you know, having those many ports with Thunderbolt. Not that they couldn't do it. It's just that they would be building their own system. And so it would be a big project. And Apple is completely capable of making that project. Uh, you know, I, I, the, the case against uh, just it would be hard, you know, it would be hard, but it doesn't mean that they couldn't do it. It's, it's not a reason why they, they, it's impossible for them. It's absolutely possible for Apple to make an ARM Mac.
0: So something I want to uh, come back to that you said, and you were talking about um, what is the the floor, like what is the, the the performance floor that Apple are willing to go to. I mean, so you know, and this is the idea of like you know, uh, what if ARM chips can't be as powerful, and what is like the, what are the minimums and what are the maximums. I mean, one thing to consider is like just from what, you know, like stuff like Geekbench scores, however much you want to take those into stock. The the current iPhones, the iPhone 7, has faster geekbench scores than a bunch of Macs, especially the new MacBook, right? Is that's my understanding.
1: Yeah. You're looking at the ceiling of iOS and the floor of the Mac when you compare them. They are comparable in that little area, yeah. but that's the problem, is that's where the Mac starts and it goes up from there.
0: Uh-huh. But like my, my point at that is like the floor of the Mac is lower than the ceiling of the iPhone, right? So, like, that's yeah. when, okay, these points are starting to cross. Yes. So, you know, like, let's imagine the iPhone 8 scores start to rub up against the MacBook Pro. Like, let's just imagine, right? Let's just imagine. It's possible, right, that in a couple of generations, um, especially with the X chips, right, where they get even more powerful, even more faster, that these lines are just going to continue to pass
1: each other. It's possible, um I. It's possible. It 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 might take some time, but it's possible. And also then again, you
0: know, Geekbench scores are Geekbench scores. They're not everything. It's just a yeah, data point.
1: Yeah, and and you've got to think about the about diminishing returns. That theoretically, um, Apple's ARM performance is not going to blow past Intel's performance because you know they're, they're I think that Intel is eking out more performance all the time and Apple is making a lot of big performance gains. I, I don't know if that continues or if it, it's one of those things where they keep getting closer and closer. Also, is Apple motivated by performance at that level? You could argue that above a certain level, um, the kind of performance that Apple needs for the, an iPhone is not really the same kind of performance that you need for a, a professional computer, an iMac or Mac Pro or MacBook Pro. And so that's, that's you know, the the decisions they make building processors for iOS are not necessarily the traits that we want in a computer. Yeah. That said, I have to say, and this is something that came up in the chat room just now, which is, you know, all the other processor transitions were about um, were were about going to a faster uh, a faster processor, and the, these aren't those, and that's absolutely true. The, the caveat I would say is, is faster what Apple's looking for? No. Or is as we saw from the MacBook Pros, is power efficiency for mobile devices what Apple's looking for? And if Apple looks at, at an ARM processor in a Mac and doesn't say, this will give us more power, but instead says, this will make our computers thinner and lighter and be able to use smaller batteries for longer amounts of time... That might be a persuasive argument for Apple if we look at some of the decisions Apple has made recently. And that's interesting, which is, why, I mean, which is why a lot of people looked at the MacBook when it came out and said that was the kind of computer they envisioned being the kind of computer Apple would put an ARM processor in because it's super thin and light and doesn't do a whole lot and isn't trying to be super powerful. And you know, that's, I, I think the MacBook is the kind of computer that Apple could make today on ARM if it wanted to. I don't know if it could make a MacBook Pro or a Retina iMac or a Mac Pro today on ARM.
0: I would argue that the majority of computing users are solving for different problems now as well. Um, sure. I think back in 2005, we were looking for faster, but I don't. I don't think people are looking for faster on average. I'm not. Like you know, I what I have right now, like the computers that I have at my disposal right now, this is as much as I need, and like and then that wasn't always the case. You know, there have been times yep. in my computing life where I've wanted more performance, but really I, I, I don't feel that way so much anymore, and I'm more interested in the other things that they can do. Especially, you know, from a laptop perspective, I want a 20-hour battery. That's right. what I want. And and so, you know, I, and I want super thin and super light. You know, like I think that there are different considerations these days which ARM can provide. But what I don't want is my iMac to become less powerful, right? Like, you know, that, that's one thing. In the laptop line, I'm willing to look at different options. You know, I'm willing right. to make trade-offs in different places, which is why I have moved from the MacBook Pro to the MacBook, because the trade-offs are right for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a MacBook user and a fan of that product now, I would like the benefits of ARM in there because what I want is thin, light, and even longer battery. That's what I'm looking for.
1: And this is, I think, one of Apple's challenges. It goes back to what I was saying about this bifurcated platform thing is some people like Joe Steele is in the chat room saying, I am looking for faster, right? And this is the problem. And I think this is the core of a lot of the discontent with the MacBook Pro is a lot of people feel like you do, which is... On my mobile device, it's it's got you know it, I don't need huge amounts of power, but I want it to be thin and light and have a battery. And uh, people, uh, other people will say, well, no, I need it to be, I need it to have enough battery, but it, but uh, thin and light isn't important, and I needed to have power when I need it. And I think the challenge is if you keep these, if you keep the Mac as a single unified platform in terms of processor type, that I think is harder to do. So do, does Apple? bifurcate the platform or does it say we're going to choose one or the other and we're going to you know we're going to choose one that's better at x and not as good at y and and deal with the consequences and right now that's what apple's doing apple is is dealing with the consequences of choosing intel as its platform and not having that control and having you know it's not like in, intel isn't optimizing processors for for power savings apple is also optimizing their computers for you know not a lot of battery and that's a part of it but if they go to arm the opposite is true right if they want to do a single platform uh, can you know does the the high-end more powerful stuff kind of lose out
0: so will in the chat room is asking when you know when i'm talking about wanting more battery life how would arm do that now look i don't know enough about this stuff but i know that i get like comparable usage times out of an ipad and out of a macbook and the MacBook is much bigger and has more space for battery in it, right? That That's yeah. kind of my thinking, is that energy efficiency in the same bodies, in the same MacBook body, could give me more battery life. Because there's there's more battery in the MacBook than there is in the iPad, surely.
1: Also, Will is mentioning screen brightness. My understanding is that screen brightness, the way Apple has engineered the displays on the new MacBook Pro, screen brightness is actually a, a, a very minor part of battery consumption. So those that's kind of old... Old problems that are not the current problems. I think the, the 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 power usage isn't isn't happening. The screen is the screen. We can hold the screen the same, but there's a lot of other power consumption that's happening. That's not the screen. Uh, I want to go
0: move to something else that you mentioned because I think it's uh, it's it's interesting, um, which is Thunderbolt three. Uh huh. Now you mentioned uh, about that apple would need to consider this right they would need to consider additional input output and thunderbolt right. 3 might be part of it and they would have to find a way to make that work with arm now i'm putting my dream scenario in here but you know there could be a way that apple are already working on this for the ipad i mean that's my my hope right like it's my outside hope it's something that i wish is that uh, we will see usb c ports Thunderbolt 3 ports on an iPad in the future to allow for the further expansion and expandability of that line of product to push it more towards being a desktop replacement. Mm-hmm. So if they are working on that, let's just say they're working on that anyway, that makes moving to the Mac
1: easier still, right? Sure. Although I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I, I doubt that the iPad Pro is going to add a USB-C port, but if it does, I doubt it will be a Thunderbolt 3 port.
0: I can, just, but a man can dream
1: though no, jason <laughs> sure dream shine shine on you crazy diamond again i'll just say it i'm going to card that one out every week this yep. week's uh, you, you should dream we all should have dreams and goals and and ambitions mike that's what or we should have what about boot camp then so
0: let's assume I, let's just assume it's not possible for apple to emulate windows efficiently on arm right? right that that we can't get the 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 same performance right i think everyone can probably agree that like if you play video games on your iMac using Bootcamp you won't be able to do that on ARM Correct. if they're still running it,
1: on x86 I think it has to be even if you know, people are like but but Microsoft's working on emulators sure emulators are always a lot slower than <laughs> than uh than running natively, unless your processor is much faster. The Intel processors were much faster than the uh, the PowerPC processors. So Rosetta wasn't so bad; it was slow, but it was not it was not terrible. But it, this is a case where having having emulated Intel on PowerPC before, let me tell you, it will probably be very slow and uh, and and not a great Windows emulation experience for people who need to emulate Windows on the Mac. So. Apple computers existed before bootcamp.
0: Would it be that much of a loss to the product? I mean, I know that
1: there are going to be people that it is going to be just devastating for, it's how many people do you want to do you want to kick out of your platform? I mean, this is always the question. We've talked about it in previous episodes. Like Apple makes decisions that they think are right for the largest number of people on the platform, and sometimes that means that there's a a portion of the audience that they're saying we can't make a product. We either make a product for uh, for you and your small percentage. Or we make a product for this much larger percentage, and we have to choose. So we choose this larger percentage, right? That, that's a yep. decision that Apple can make, and it, you know they may make the wrong decisions. They may make the right decisions. I, I think that's the question here: is how important it is is it to Apple anymore for them to make computers that can boot into Windows or run uh, Windows emulation? Now there there is absolutely an audience that requires some Windows program it 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 i can tell you from personal experience my aunt and uncle were windows pc people and the way i got them to buy a mac was the was that they could have uh, parallels on it and you know what they never used windows once they switched no. they never used it but it got them across and and there are people like that i feel like 2016 is a very different world from 2005 yeah. 2006 right and so i'm not sure how big this audience is really in terms of, of that, I think it's more likely that there are professionals who have to have uh, a Windows environment, but they prefer the Mac environment, so they kind of uh, kind of keep it available for them. So there's an audience here, and that's the question, is like, how important is boot camp? I don't know. how. I, I, I always assume Apple has research about all this stuff. Like, I think Apple knows how many people even knew that you could flip out the little plastic things on the power brick in order to do cord control. <laughs> yep. I think Apple, I suspect Apple knows how many people do that. And I suspect Apple knows how many people on the Mac are using Bootcamp and who those people are to a certain degree or or Parallels or VMware. Um, and so then the question is just, what's it worth to you? Like, what's that trade-off worth to you? And I don't know. I can't point at Bootcamp or the ability to run Intel stuff natively and say, if Apple lost that, that would be devastating to the platform. I'm not sure I can say that.
0: So my argument on this would be that they will inevitably have upset more people by moving to the port configuration that they have now on the MacBook Pro than they would upset people who use Bootcamp. I think there are more people that would get upset about the fact that they need to buy new dongles wow. and new equipment for their MacBook Pros, and then it, as time goes on, all their Macs, then they would upset the amount of people who use Bootcamp. That would be I my think guess. That's off-
1: I think that's a false comparison, though, because uh, what I'm really talking about is the difference between being upset, you know, being put out that you have to buy adapters or new mm-hmm. cables, and being unable to do something you have to do. And okay, running that is a big running difference. Windows, running Windows. <laughs> you know, people. <laughs> this is mean to say, but I'm going to say it because I think it's funny. People don't run Windows because they want to, Mike. <laughs> well, they run they don't Windows if they because have a they max. must. Right, I if think if, if
0: you are using uh, Windows on a Mac, that is a requirement. If you right. if you love Windows, you probably have a really Don't good, buy much a cheaper you might not want to buy a Windows PC. PC. Yeah,
1: yeah right. I think that's a strong strong point. So I guess that's to me that's the difference. Is if you're uh, if you're Casey Liss, you know, at his old job, I believe that that was like one of the ways that he was able to have a Mac is that he was able yeah. to do the, the no, his, uh, point. his his development in there. But again, that's it. That's a a very small market. And so what, what are those markets and are, are they important to Apple? Because those people will, will will scream bloody murder if they lose the ability to run Windows apps at any normal speed on a new Mac that comes out, if that, that they're unable to buy a new Mac without giving that up. There are those people, but are there enough of them?
0: I, I would be very willing uh, to put some money down that there are the percentage of people or the amount of people that are there, uh, Apple Apple wouldn't be not making this decision because of that. And I know you're not making that argument, but I don't think they're like, oh, we're ready for ARM, and they're like, oh, but there's Windows Boot Camp users, and they're like, oh, okay. I don't think that that's a thing, personally. Hmm. I do have a flip side question for you, though. Okay. So we're looking at, like, oh, on Intel chips, we're able to use bootcamp and and, and able to, you know, natively run windows if we were to move to arm could ios software be run more easily on the mac <sighs>
1: i don't know i mean i i think it's i think that has more to do with talking to the operating system than it does that the chip that it the chip it runs on you can compile you can compile ios for intel now to to run it in the simulator which developers do so i don't i i don't think that's a as big a deal uh, in terms of the ios like ios merging with the mac i think you know running ios software in mac versions i i I don't think that's a that would be a big change
0: okay so here's the big question though does moving to arm warrant the investment from a time perspective a marketing perspective or a money perspective any of those three honestly because i think they're all equally important to make the switch in today's mac market so this is, to This me, is the big question. This is the million dollar question.
1: So, and what I say at the end of my Macworld story is this is the reason it won't happen. Not that they can't do it because I think they could do it. I can envision them doing it. It would be some work and there would be issues and there would be people who would be put out by the changes. But it would it would work. I don't think Apple will do it because I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> I don't think it's worth their time. I don't think it's worth their effort. The Mac is 15% of Apple's total business, less than 15% of Apple's total business. Chip transitions are hard and you're tying Apple's chip development group to the Mac permanently at that point. You're saying, all right, everybody, I know we're making chips for the iPhone and then the iPad, but we're also going to start making chips for the Mac and they they have different needs and it's going to need attention. And we're going to, first off, um, first off, the iPhone is by far the most important. Do they really want to divert time away from de- developing the next great iPhone processor to, in order to do a Mac processor to get off of Intel? Do they really want to do that? So that's that's the first thing. And, and and the second thing is, if you're a Mac user, do you really want this? Because I know that there's this feeling like, oh, well, Intel can be slow and Intel's had delays and that's been hard for the Mac. But the solution there is for Apple to maybe be more attentive about just integrating the Intel stuff when it comes out. Do we think that Apple's own internal chip design is going to prioritize the Mac enough to have the Mac get new processors? every uh, you know at at the same rate as intel provides them i don't see that either because i feel like 15 percent of the business it's not going to be a high priority so if apple even did it i think it would be potentially bad for the mac in that they wouldn't be particularly attentive and i don't think apple will do it i think this is the number one reason is it would be a lot of effort and it would take it would take brain power away from the incredibly important part of continuing to drive um, iphone performance and features And because I think it's different enough that they can't just slap an iPhone processor in a Mac. I think that would be a, a, an unlikely scenario. And so for me, that's that's the thing that, that clinches it, is why you've got Intel motoring along. They're not great as a partner, but the fact is the Mac's not the core of your business. So let Intel build their things. It will mean that the Mac is always more or less at parity with PCs because the PC market is all on Intel. So the Mac's always going to be there in terms of the processor side. And then Apple adds their secret sauce to their hardware design, around those processors and it's got the operating system stuff and Apple's proud of all of that and then just let it let it percolate at 13% of Apple's revenue. That seems like a far more reasonable scenario than Apple making a huge investment to take their ball away from Intel and start building you know, their own processors for the Mac. I'm not saying they can't do it. They might even do it, but it seems like they've got better things to do than, uh, than, than build their own processors for the Mac. I
0: agree with that. Like, I I think that the likelihood of them making a huge change like this just for the benefit of the Mac is incredibly unlikely.
1: And the Mac, like, what's good about the Mac? Why does the Mac exist? The Mac exists as continuity. The Mac exists because people have been using it for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. So... It's one of the Macs this is what I, I, I you know we when we talk about like making the Mac more like iOS, I think this is one of those things that comes up. It's like there's a certain point beyond which you shouldn't push the Mac because the Mac's greatest value is that it's familiar to Mac users and Mac users want to keep using the Mac. That's why the Mac exists is because Mac users want to use the Mac. They don't want they'd be iPad users if they wanted to use the iPad, there are people who want to use the Mac. So you don't want to break the Mac. And a processor transition is just one more thing that could potentially kind of provide a discontinuity. You got to, you know, at that point, you're like, oh, now I've got to make a processor transition and some of my stuff's going to need to be recompiled or it's not going to work. It's going to, I'm going to buy updates and all of that. And you know do they want to put mac users through that level of strain is that is that something they need if this was if this was a product platform that they were really planning on on driving growth in for the next 20 years it would be worth it to go through that transition uh, as they'd done you know a decade ago and a decade before that but i don't think that apple sees the mac as that the mac is is about continuity and 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 keeping an existing base using a product that they're more or less familiar with and a processor transition doesn't do that
0: I think the only thing that I can think of as to why this might happen uh, is that it benefits the iPhone in some way. Like that—that's like my only thing. It's like, why would Apple do this if putting the development of this to make it more powerful to run on a Mac means that the iPhone gets better? Right. <laughs> that's like what, the only reason I can yep. think. Right. Like it's it yeah. is it becomes yep. an internal development team for the future of the iPhone, but they get to run this stuff in the real world on Macs.
1: I think that would be the argument is um, if we want to press if we want to press the growth of the iPhone, the way to do it is to also build Mac processors because the it's going to lift all the boats. I, I, my gut feeling is that the Mac is designing a Mac processor based on the A series is more likely to be a branch that takes them in a different direction, um, you know, or into a cul-de-sac. Versus what they're doing for the iPhone. But if Apple really believes that all of their chip development is going in the same direction and that the Mac will benefit from the same things that the iPhone benefits from, then they could push in that direction. Part of my skepticism here, I have to admit, is I don't think it's good for the Mac as I use it if Apple goes to ARM. Because I think it's a further reprioritizing of the Mac for thinness, lightness, small batteries, maybe longer battery life, which would be good in certain circumstances. But I feel like it changes the Mac dramatically. And as I've been, you know, wondering about for a while now, if does Apple think of the Mac as the car or the truck? Uh, Steve Jobs famously said, you know, iOS is the car essentially, and the Mac is, is a truck. It's a specialized tool for people in a particular, you know, particular, they have particular needs or they, they fancy themselves a computer user and they don't like thinking of themselves as a touch screen device user. Fair enough. But, you know, if Apple go, puts the Mac on ARM, it feels like a very much like, no, the Mac's a car too, which seems weird to me because I'm not sure that there's a lot of future in that. And, and the people who are going to be the diehards who stick with a computer for the rest of their lives are, seems to me, a little less likely to be in that, in that, uh, in that market, but, mm-hmm. you know, Apple knows their market better than me. But that, so I, I do think my fears that an, an ARM Mac would not be optimized for maybe the things that I think are more important for the Mac to be optimized for. It's perfectly valid. I mean, you could look at the MacBook Pros and say, that is, that is an argument for why Apple's decision-making is, uh, is not, it, it, that's an argument that, that, that Apple could make a, an ARM Mac, because what they're optimizing for is the same sort of stuff that an arm uh, driven mac might offer um and I don't know, uh, in lack, uh, we don't have a Mac Pro to point to, right, <laughs> to say, here's a counter argument. And so it just kind of lays out there. But again, if I were betting, I would not bet on an ARM-based MacBook coming in the spring of 2017. But I'm not, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not going to say that. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible Apple does bifurcate the market and make a low-end, you know, make the MacBook an ARM Mac and the rest of them stay Intel for a long time or maybe ever, it's possible. I just don't think it's likely.
0: So I do. All right, tell me why. I think it would be because of the iPhone. I don't know when it's going to be.
1: I think it's down the line. But I down think, the line is a stronger argument than than soon. Sure. You know, if let's if, say i say it, within the next five years then are you thinking sort of i mean one one argument here would be the reverse which is the iphone becomes so powerful that there's no reason not to pull the mac along with it because the mac is kind of fallen behind
0: that's kind of like the road I'm, i'm moving down it's like part of that and part of just like the idea of them being able to make the iphone better by having the whole company focused around the arm chip like th- that's kind of my thinking is that they will eventually make iOS in iOS devices better by having everything be ARM, right? I think it helps them move towards an area where you can make iPhone apps on an iPad, right? Like I think that all of that stuff just helps push in that direction, which I think is the ultimate direction of, you know, Apple becoming the iOS company as opposed to the iOS and OS ten company. Like I, th- I think that that is the I'm really sorry, everyone. But I think that is the future, right? Like that is the future. And this is a long way away, but I think just looking at percentages, like it just they're just going to keep moving in different areas. And I know if I am Tim Cook, then I want to put every dollar I have into the iPhone and to what comes out of the iPhone, what comes next from the iPhone. And if I can find a way to make that 13, 14% of my business make the 70% of the business even better, then I might be inclined to do that.
1: Yeah, I could see that. I, I don't I don't think that will happen anytime soon. I, I just, I don't see it right now as being, I see it as a distraction and not as a way to further the iPhone. But I think we agree that ultimately the decision that Apple makes is going to be what's right for the iPhone. Yes. And not what's right for the Mac. If what what's right for the Mac is not also right for the iPhone or doesn't matter to the iPhone.
0: I think all decisions Apple makes today are what is right for the iPhone.
1: Yeah. And then everything else can kind of come along if they want to.
0: And look, and if you think anything different, just look at the economics and ask yourself if you were running that company, what would your decision making be? And it doesn't mean that what's right for the iPhone means the Mac is dead. It doesn't mean that because... For the iPhone to exist, the Mac needs to exist in its current state, right? Because without the Mac, there is no iPhone, because there's no software for it. Yeah. But it, I think, every, you know, it, it is the pyramid, and the iPhone sits at the very top, and then everything else comes out of that, because look how much money it makes. And so I, I think that that is it. And, it, and I think that if it ends up being that. Moving to ARM will benefit the iPhone. They're just going to do it. And, and my bet would be in the next five years, there isn't a full transition, but we see the first ARM Mac. There you go. Okay, we'll see. I look forward to the follow-up. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Encapsula, a cloud service that makes your website faster. And safer. Encapsula has a worldwide network that can inspect every packet that comes and goes from your website, blocking attacks against your site whilst delivering your content to your customers faster. Encapsula protects and accelerates over 4 million websites every day, from individual bloggers all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. They have tons of resources that you can take advantage of to help make your website load like a dream, as well as 24-7 operations who are there whenever you need them. And you can, you know, take it from the over 100,000 people that use Encapsula. These sites span from millions and millions of individual properties across the web. So you have like companies that own lots and lots of websites. So you're looking at a huge portion of the Internet is protected by Encapsula. They've got your back. You're going to be well protected and your site is going to be lightning fast. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of Encapsular service for free. All you need to do is go to INCAPSULA.com, that's Encapsular.com, slash Upgrade. This is where you'll find out more about what Encapsula can do for you and also claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and relay FM. So a couple of weeks ago I saw a little story float past that kind of I didn't really see go anywhere, but was interesting to me. Japanese the Japanese newspaper Nikai Nikkei. Nikkei uh, N-I-K-K-E-I. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a news news service, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, news service. That's, that's a better way of putting it. Um, and and they, they, you know, I see the we see the, this name pop up every now and then, and they seem to be a source of good stuff and bad stuff, but definitely a source of stuff. A- according to Nikkei, um, Apple is asking its manufacturers, Foxconn and Pegatron, great names by the way, just like. Just is superb, Pegatron, what a great name for a company, um, is asking them to investigate what it would take to move their production of iPhones to the US. Yeah. It's pretty big, right? And apparently Pegatron is not interested uh, because it would be too expensive, but Foxconn is looking at it. Now, my assumption would be that let's just say that they do this the idea would be that they continue to work with these companies, but these companies help Apple establish and run factories in the U.S. as opposed to running these factories in China.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think so. And doesn't Foxconn run a factory in Brazil, too? Probably. It builds, I think builds iPhones for Brazil, uh, which is actually kind of an interesting thought of what if you built the iPhones for the U.S. in the U.S.? Which which is, uh, you know, it's an example of... There's a lot going on here. I think the Brazil factory exists because it became um, impossible for them to import phones into Brazil without these huge tariffs that made the phones um, not just ridiculously priced. And so instead they built a factory to build iPhones in Brazil. Um, There's a lot going on here uh, with a uh, kind of protectionist administration taking power in 2017. Uh, And, you know, Trump has criticized apple for making things overseas apple of course we you know we've talked about it the uh, the supply chains in asia so it's if you want to do kind of real-time fulfillment of uh, products keep the keep the uh, supply chain humming and keep the uh, inventory at minimum which is the most efficient supply chain this is tim cook's stuff this is what he's good at um then you want to be close to the supply chain and not have all your supplies being, you know, brought over on boats because that's uh, really slow and you can have too much of one thing and not enough of another and that leads to delays and there are lots of reasons for this. So, it's complica- complicated stuff. Um, I got to think part of this is Apple seeing if, you know, if they need to do this because it's the only way that they're going to be able to avoid a confrontation with the US government over tariffs or some other kind of protectionist tactic. Um, They might, like I said, they might decide to build phones for North America in North America, you know, build phones for North America in the US and maybe continue building all the rest of them in China. So that's a possibility, China, Brazil, whatever, um, in other places that are not the US. It's also possible that Apple is commissioning this, is doing this work so that they have something they can point to and say, we can't do this, (laughs) right? That's entirely possible too, that this is laying the groundwork for Apple making the case to the new administration that what they're asking isn't realistic because of whatever the reasons are. So I wondered about
0: a couple of other ideas for this, right? So could this be a way to help leverage in discussions of the repatriating of funds? This is something that Tim Cook cares about quite deeply
1: it's politics all all things are possible right i mean yep. this is this is it could be that this is a, a part of a, a it's a bargaining chip to say mm-hmm. we will we will do and again, sometimes it's about optics. So it may be: look, you make this deal to let us repatriate our, our funds at a at a reduced tax rate, and we'll make ten percent of iPhones in the United States. Yeah, or or you know, we will make we will we will. they're, they're not even going to care about that. If I if I'm reading the politics of this correctly, the way it will seem to work would be: Apple is bringing X number of jobs back to the U.S. from China, mm-hmm. and it's going to be like with the Power Mac. Uh, or the Mac Pro sorry power Mac Wow we, we talked about old things <laughs> uh, rather than the, the the Mac Pro factory in Texas, right um, it will be something you know it'll be something kind of like that where they'll say we're assembling whatever. Uh, And it may be we're assembling the iPhones in the U.S., but there are certain parts, certain blocks of parts that that do get shipped from China so that they're they're like partially put together in China, but then the final bit is assembled. The Gorilla Glass is made in the U.S. So they, they, you know, and and I believe the processors are made in the U.S. or fabbed in the U.S. So it's not like there aren't parts of the iPhone that are made in the U.S. So they could have parts of it that are made here and shipped to an American factory and then parts that are coming from the Asian supply chain and maybe are even pre-assembled. There and then they're put together in the US. So, again, in the end, it's going to be how do we do something that makes this, you know, makes it work and doesn't harm our business and at the same time allows us to declare, along with the new administration, oh, yay, Apple is bringing X thousand jobs back to America because, and in return, Apple's getting a huge tax break on all that money that they want to bring back. Yep. Uh, that, it's politics. It's it's messy, and sometimes it's more about how it looks than how it you know how it works. But I, I expect all of that is probably going on here.
0: Could this also um, help Apple control leaks better? Maybe. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe. maybe? Uh, I mean, not, it's I, not. I, it wouldn't be a reason, but it might be a nice outcome. I don't know.
1: You still gotta. You still gotta get. Parts from the asian supply chain i think nobody is suggesting that the entire supply chain from asia is going to move to the move to the u.s right so there's still going to be it's a it's a complex web of of uh of different companies so it's possible but um i wouldn't bet on it i mean because the price just gets higher right you know yeah although although i mean there are arguments to be made that as the cost of living rises in china um and that uh that it's it's less of a difference, and that the cost difference between making that phone in the U.S. and China is not huge. I, I've heard somebody say it was ten dollars. I don't know if it's I don't know if that's accurate, but it's like it's not what you'd think. It's not like my understanding is the difference in in labor costs and things like that between doing it in the U.S. and doing it in China that fundamentally doesn't add a huge amount to the the, the price of the product, the cost of making the product. The challenge is again all of the other pieces of the supply chain. This is all an intricate machine that's been built in various factories, in various areas, all feeding through to other suppliers and manufacturers. And and you can't just kind of pop out one piece easily and set it down somewhere else because that's not how it's been it's been engineered. So I will say this, if anybody could figure out how to do this, it's a, an organization run by Tim Cook because this is what he's good at. But I would be surprised they're not going to pick up the whole supply chain. So the question is like, how much do they do in the U.S. and how much and how much do they, you know, not? And and what makes that look good as this is a you know, it's not 100 percent American parts, but it's assembled in the U.S. Designed in Cupertino and, you know, or what is it designed in California and assembled in the United States might be a thing that they're going for.
0: Be a pretty nice marketing message for Apple. Just going to say, right? Like, you know, for, for the same reason that uh, many political things occurred in the last few months. Um,
1: Apple being able to say, like, we make our products at home. Well, I mean, Apple... So two things are going on with Apple. One is Apple is an international company. They believe that China is going to be its, big, its biggest market um, uh, eventually. And Apple wants to be a successful global company The other part is Apple is an American company it the, the vast majority of the people who are building its products day by day are in designing and creating the software and all those things are in Cupertino, California they are a, they are an American company uh, We have a we have a, a, a government coming into power in the. US that is that that campaigned on America first right that that was a slogan that that they used was America first. So if you're Apple and you're trying to be a smart business being, you know, you want to be able to continue being an international company, but it might be dramatically to your benefit to be seen as America's tech company in the United States. I I think it's kind of funny for example that the current president and the incoming president are frequently seen using smartphones not made by an American company, right? It used to be like, if you're the president of the United States, everything you used was made in America, if at all possible. Like the president doesn't get, I I don't believe to this day, the president doesn't get carried around in a Japanese car or a German car, right? I believe it's all American cars, mostly because of, again, the optics of it, right? USA, USA. So if you have the ability to do that, with this and say oh no we love apple they brought jobs back to america apple is our company they're the home team samsung's not the home team google is google's a home team but but samsung's not uh and so you know it, it gives Apple an opportunity to be on the home team at a time when nationalism is on the rise in the U.S. So as a smart businessman, you know, as, as opposed as Apple is in so many other areas to things that are probably going to be policies of, of Donald Trump and his administration, this is a, a, a case where maybe it's the, it's, the, it's the smart move to do it. And the fact is, an American company bringing manufacturing back to the U.S., and, and questioning the conventional wisdom on that is not a bad thing to do, right? I mean, if Apple can actually make iPhones in the US to a certain degree and have it not, not cost their bottom line and not lose their competitiveness with, the, with uh, other phone makers, then that's a great story. I think it's kind of cool. I don't want them to take jobs away from uh, people in
0: China. And, and I hope that, that's not, you know, that it's not to serve one, is just to spite another. Um, but I think it would be kind of cool if they could find a way to make it work. It do- you know it doesn't annoy me. Right, <laughs> kind of like make them in America. It doesn't annoy me, um, and I know that it would make a lot of people really happy. So it, I you know again we're playing uh, we're playing CEO today. If I'm Tim Cook, this is another thing that I would do. I would look at what this would be. You know, because if you can uh, if if you can do it and you can make the money work, why not? Why not give it a go? That's true. This week's episode is also brought to you by Foot Cardigan. Dear listener, I'd like to ask you a series of questions. Do you want to be known as the best gift giver in the whole wide world this holiday season? Do you want your feet to be the envy of everyone you know? Or do you want to bestow upon somebody that illustrious honor? Do you want awesome socks delivered to your mailbox every month? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then Foot Cardigan is the company for you. Foot Cardigan delivers fun socks every single month right to your doorstep. They will ensure that your feet never have to be seen out in public again in boring plain socks. And the best part, you get a surprise every month. You don't have to choose what pair you want. You will get a great surprise every month, starting at just nine dollars a month. Foot cardigan socks are a fantastic gift for holiday season or just to treat yourself. Is no shame in that foot cardigan has socks for men, women, and kids, and they have a bunch of different styles too. If you are a luxury sock wearer or you know somebody who is a nose show kind of sock wearer, foot cardigan have quite literally got your feet covered. I am wearing foot cardigan socks again today, oh, look at you. as I do pretty much every day. I've been a subscriber to foot cardigan for over a year now, and I love it when that little uh, that tiny package makes its way through my letterbox and i get to uh, to unpack another pair of exciting socks i have a very eclectic sock collection now thanks to foot cardigan go to footcardigan.com and you will get 10 percent off your order with the coupon code upgrade that is footcardigan.com promo code upgrade at checkout you'll get 10 percent off any subscription these really is a fantastic gift or just a lovely thing a lovely different thing for yourself Thank you so much to Foot Cardigan for their support of this show. Relay FM and hashtag AskUpgrade.
1: I'm excited about it's that it's Foot Cardigan season again. Uh, Me too. and I, I signed up I signed up this time. I did. Oh, you that. did? Great. Yeah, I did. I mean, look, we you know we, we
0: have a lot of different types of sponsors here at Relay Fm, but there is a there is quite a joy that I get in talking about a sock subscription service. I get quite a joy out of talking well, about a company such as that.
1: Well, they, they sponsored Clockwise again this yep. uh, this season, but they did a last holiday season too, and we it sort of devolved into madness because we kept mm-hmm. talking about Sockwise, clocks and socks and all of that. It's I'll great. to the foot cardigan people. There's a, there's a brand integration right there, Jason. I, I think <laughs> socks with clocks. We need socks with clocks on them because they're mm-hmm. clock socks. Socks, clocks, socks. It's like a Dr. Seuss book. It's great.
0: Our first Ask Up question this week comes from Ed. Ed is considering buying the Studio Neat Canopy that we spoke about last week, but doesn't want to buy a second Magic Keyboard. Jason, will Ed be in Bluetooth pairing hell?
1: I don't know. Um, I So I have a Logitech keyboard that has multiple Bluetooth pair settings, uh-huh. but the Magic Keyboard doesn't work like that. Um, and I only have the one and I only use it in the Studio Neat Canopy. So, yeah, I think there may be issues where if you've got your keyboard paired to your Mac and your iPad and they're both within view of each other, Bluetooth range, that um, that you may have some issues where you're going to have to turn Bluetooth off on one of the devices in order to get the other one to, uh, or you know, or depair. Uh Hell is a strong word, but... Uh, it's not super ideal.
0: I wondered if uh, the plugging in thing might help. You know, that pairing. Does that work on iOS? That, the, uh, oh, no, because you can't go lightning to lightning. Never mind. There's nothing you yeah, can see? do, Ed. Yeah. Toph asked, um, regarding iPads and keyboards, do modifier keys allow multiple selection, for example, items in mail's list as you can on macOS? I don't
1: think Do you know so. the answer to this one?
0: I mean, I've never been able... No, do you know what? I don't think that works at all. Like, you know, like the idea of holding shift and then just like holding pressing shift, down, down, yeah. down, down. Or,
1: or holding, down, holding down like the command key and, and tapping on multiple items. No, because no. In, in the way... Yeah, I think you have to do the old selection thing where, where you choose select and tap on the items. I don't think that there's a, a keyboard shortcut for that. I bet someone could do it. I just don't think it's worth the development. I bet, Apple, I bet Apple could do it if Apple, you know, put that on. the uh, I think the answer is this would be a nice wish list item for the iPad features update that we hope is coming in iOS sometime next year.
0: Yeah, the, the enhancements of modifier keys, basically, yeah. you know, like more to kind of make them stuff. more of a thing. On iOS yeah. as opposed to just uh, using the command key to hit off shortcuts. There are more and more and more applications these days that are effectively adding keyboard shortcuts. yeah um, and one of my very favorite things about iOS, uh, which I mean you can tell me if this is a way, if there's a way to do this on the Mac, I've never come across it, that you could just hold down the command key and find all of the available keyboard shortcuts for an application.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way you know how it works on the Mac, which is you go to the menu bar and you look at all the commands. Yeah, and it shows you what all the keys are. That's it.
0: It doesn't have everything, though. It doesn't have everything. It it's has true. everything. It has all the corresponding shortcuts for what you can see in the menu
1: bars. And right? then if you hold down like the option key, you'll see like the menu changes to, yeah. to be what the variation is. It's not quite the same. But it's, it's still a limited set. It's a but nice feature. I like it iOS. a lot.
0: I like it a lot. Like That's one that I'm surprised I didn't bring to I haven't brought to the Mac. Uh, interesting there you go Apple there's a low hanging fruit for you (laughs) Greg wanted to know on the new MacBook Pro when brightness is all the way down on the screen on the main screen does the touch bar go dark
1: that's a good question
0: Jason, Jason checks. Uh, I will, I will vamp for you for a moment, um, and say that I saw a Touch Bar for the first time this weekend. I was in Scotland with our good friend uh, Mr. James Thompson, and we went into the Apple store, and they had them there. I hadn't seen them in any Apple store that I'd been at. Um, It's very nice. It's very nice. Uh, I like it a lot. But I did a thing which I've heard many people do. Um, I touched the Touch Bar and immediately touched the screen to open an application. That obviously did nothing. But the the idea of using a touch screen on a Mac, it just makes me touch the screen of a Mac. I mean, I'm having this problem anyway on my MacBook. It I don't know why, um, but I keep I keep touching the screen of my MacBook.
1: Um, yeah, I think it, it, you get over it. I I found you get over it. I, okay. I, the first time you use the touch bar, you immediately think, "Oh, now I can reach up and touch the screen." I, it, I think it happens to everybody, but um, that's not the case. That's so. not the case. I can answer uh, Tope's question now, or no, Greg's question now. I can answer Greg's question now. Here it is. No, oh. that's the answer. No, it doesn't. And there are a couple. There are a couple uh, reasons, but I, I think all is not lost for Greg. There are a couple reasons why it doesn't do it. That's the brightness control. So if you put the brightness all the way dark, how would you get it back up? Right. <laughs> You just, <laughs> once, once it goes dark, that's it. You're game no. over. You have to just touch bar is like, off. You have no like other like way to do it. It's like if you change
0: the language of your phone to another language, you just have to keep hitting buttons until
1: you find the right button again. Right language, back. exactly. But the good news is, um, and I mentioned this in my review, the touch bar is aggressively um, power-saving. So after, like even before your backlighting goes off uh, on, your, on your keyboard, after... A little bit of inactivity on your Mac including you're watching a movie touch bar just goes off and doesn't come back on until you do something you know touch a key or move the trackpad or something or, or, or I think maybe tap it but so the touch bar is is aggressively turning itself off when it thinks the Mac is not being used so it's not going to be an issue for Greg mm. because when he watches the movie the touch bar will just go off after a little bit of inactivity Lucas asked do also, you think also- oh, go on. Also, Greg said, I like to watch movies with no screen at night. I don't know what that means. No screen. How do you watch?
0: I think what he means is like no screen brightness. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he's air playing it. I don't know.
1: I don't know. But anyway, it'll it should go off.
0: Lucas asked, do you think of Apple's focus on services uh, and killing the time capsule potentially that they are close to an iCloud based time machine service? I don't think so. I think it's too much. No. I don't think Apple wants to be in that game. And if they did, I would not want to pay them the amount of money they would want to
1: charge me. I think the next step for Apple will probably be something like preferences in iCloud. But they have so much, so many issues already with desktop and document syncing. And then once you try to sync preferences and you get preferences out of sync, I'm not quite sure whether that's a route they want to go down. But, yeah, I so I agree with you. I think I think iCloud- based time machine seems unlikely. Um, it's not impossible. I don't think Apple wants to be Backblaze. Does, does exactly right? Does Apple, is that a service that Apple really needs to build? Then again, Apple is backing up iOS devices, but the data on the Mac is much more complicated. And again, the Mac is different. The Mac doesn't, you know, Apple can let some of that stuff to be uh, third party use, which they can't on iOS. Like literally Apple had to write the backup stuff for iOS, but they don't have to do that for the Mac. So, and there are plenty of competitors out there fighting for that. So I think it's more likely that they will try to add more kind of continuity features so that if you have a new Mac and you log in with your iCloud information, that it will get you closer to being up and running. So preferences is an example, even if they don't sync across machines, but they sort of store the preferences and you can choose or even migrate um, from iCloud when you launch a new Mac, uh, including migrating your preferences from somewhere that wouldn't, surprise me if they move in that direction and maybe even like app installation states which i don't think they honor right now the idea that um, maybe not for third-party apps but for mac app store apps they would know which mac app store apps you have installed on a particular system and it can offer to reload them all um i think they'll do i think they'll push more in that direction but that's not quite the same as backup i think i think it's more that they will do that for migration reasons
0: and last up today, Reed asked, if Apple is focusing now more, you know, and cutting things out, could Logic and Final Cut meet the same fate as the routers? Can't imagine that they make that much money.
1: Uh, I, I, think prob- I think Final Cut probably does make money for them. It, it's an interesting question. I got to say, I think it's far more likely that Apple would, f- would do a FileMaker on their Pro apps and just make a a, a subsidiary like they did with FileMaker when it was Claris, now it's FileMaker. You know, people don't even know FileMaker, and it's it's basically a legacy product database now, but that's a wholly owned subsidiary of Apple that just runs on its own, does its thing, makes a database, that's it. That's all that does. Seems weird, right? But, you know, as long as they're making money, and presumably they are, I, I think Apple just doesn't care. And that's a possibility for something like Logic and Final Cut, where they could say, uh, I don't think they're gonna kill them. They could sell them, or they could just sort of like wall them off. And if you're if you're if you're going to wall them off like that, why not just wall them off internally and not even talk about it? And it may be that the pro apps have their own teams and their own budget and are just allowed to do their own thing, and Apple doesn't worry about them as long as they make money or serve the platform in some way. But it's possible. But I guess the argument is. The the airport team
0: were making money. Well, I mean, but they cut. You know, potentially have cut them.
1: But but the argument there is that they would have to invest in a lot of uh, new hardware design, and there are other places they could use them. I guess you could make that argument for Logic and Final Cut. That you know, as long as there are other audio and video editors out there, Apple doesn't need to doesn't need to play this game. You could certainly uh, uh, argue the point that Apple should get rid of or divest themselves of of Logic and Final Cut. I hope hope it doesn't happen, but you could make the argument. Um, I think Apple, as long as Apple likes marketing professional tools, Apple likes having Final Cut as an example of a professional tool. Then again, you know, so like a Final Cut had the touch bar demo, but Adobe had a touch bar demo for Photoshop. So, you know, maybe you know if Logic and Final Cut Pro didn't exist, there would be Audition demos and Premiere demos. I don't know. I think that wraps up That's today. That's scary now. I think we've yeah. solved some really important things as the CEO of
0: Apple. <laughs> I'm really proud of us. Yep. The world's a better place now. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, the fine folk over at Encapsula, Foot Cardigan, and Pingdom. If you want to find Jason online, he is over at sixcolors.com and the incomparable dot com. He is at jsnell Snell on Twitter, J S N E am at IMike. I am you can find our show notes for this week over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 118 I mentioned last time that there would be uh, a special mic at the movies potentially and that is now out over at the incomparable.com slash mic you can can listen to me and the Arments discuss my cousin Vinny which was a lot of fun So go and check that out, I'll put a link in the show notes for that if you want to go and subscribe to that feed as well because we do post the occasional special in there as well as the yeah. uh, the reruns. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks so much to our sponsors. Thank you for supporting them. We'll be back next time. Until then, Mr. Snell, say goodbye. Until we're home alone. Mm-hmm. Ah! So you know so much. You know so much about the movie. That's all I know. <laughs> Never do that again. Same as last time. Never do that again. <laughs> <laughs>